This is the podcast of Theophilus Church. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com. Good evening, Theophilus. Look it, it's still light outside. Is that not amazing? How many people got fooled, like, did not know that it was daylight savings today? Am I the only one? Okay, good. Awesome. We woke up and we're like, what the heck? What? It feels like different time. And well, it was. Um, let's start with just some silence and some prayer before we get into tonight. God, you are so good. Um, Thank you for this community. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, your continued pursuit of us, your unrelenting patience with us. God, tonight, as we look at this passage and as we share in fellowship and a meal together, May we just be reminded of the nearness of your presence and God, would we just take a moment to be blown away by it, actually. Reveal yourself to us in, like you do reveal yourself to us in all kinds of ways through your creation, through relationship. And may we just have the patience and the eyes to see it and the courage to rejoice in it. May you be the center of tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick announcements before we get into the sermon. Um, you will see when you walked in this morning that there are some seeds available. Kelsey, great job. Um, so if you are participating in the CSA, which I hope everybody is, please uh, see Kelsey back there uh, at the table today and get some seeds for your gardens. Um, it's the beginning of our planting season. So um, pay attention to that. Secondly, um, There is a Creation Care Community Life Group that is starting up in March 23rd. Um, Kelsey and Desiree and Tom are going to be running this community life group together and talk about um, just the concept of Christian responsibility to take care of the earth and why we do this gardening stuff and why we're passionate about it. Um, So, it starts March 23rd, 545 to 730. Kelsey's back there with the hat on. Wave your hand, Kelsey. She can give you all the details for that group, but uh, see her if you would like to be a part of that group, and she'll get you connected. Um, tonight, we are going to continue on with our Lent series um, that was kicked off last week, and the theme that we're running with is this idea of when God provides. Um, And we see this throughout all these Lent scriptures of the Old Testament, and so we're going to be in the Old Testament for the next several weeks. Today, we are in a passage that um, I'm actually a little shaky about this because it's probably a passage I've talked about, I've used more than any other passage in the Bible that I've, I've 
talked about. And with that comes this, um, this kind of internal struggle that, oh my gosh, I've talked about this passage so much that I have to come up with some new little nugget or something creative to uh, lighten or spice things up. Because if I've officiated your wedding, chances are I've used this passage um, to talk about uh, how this idea of covenant and God's promise to a person um, affects our lives. And, and it's a really profound passage in the spirit of not overcomplicating things, um, I am going to resist the temptation to produce something spicy and creative um, and rather just explore the story of Abraham and see how we can insert ourselves in this really profound and complex and beautifully scandalous story um, because I think it has much to teach us, and I think it's really apt for the point that we are in as a body, the fellowship together. So um, the general theme of tonight's sermon is going to be taking responsibility for the call that God has put in our lives and allowing God to handle the results. Taking responsibility for the call and the blessing that God pours out in our lives, but not trying to control the results, allowing God to be God and us to just respond with faithfulness. That's the conclusion. That's where we're going tonight. Now let's look at this story of Abraham a little bit more closely. If you're like me, people like Noah, Abraham, Moses. These are characters that are actually really hard for me to relate to in the Bible. Do you feel the same way? Does anybody feel the same way? No? Okay, I'm the weird one. I'm going to share with you why they're hard for me to relate to in the Bible. I feel like it's not fair, like especially Moses. You're like, okay, dude, you have no excuses. God showed up to you in a burning bush he performed all kinds of miracles before Pharaoh. You walked through the sea. Your body shone with the glory of God. He has revealed himself to you in ways that are beyond comprehension. You have no excuse for ignoring the call of God in your life. He has shown up for you in ways beyond comprehension. Noah, he gave him the steep the stinking diameters of the ark, and he builds it, and then the flood comes, and he's saved, right? And it's like, okay, God revealed himself to you in a really unique way. And the same with Abram. It's like God comes down and says, hey, man, I want you to leave your home country to a place that I'm going to show you. There's like this verbal exchange between God and Abram, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to take you to somewhere, and I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to bless the people who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who don't, and through you, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. So Abram has this real personal interaction with God, and we see him get up and go like, okay, let's go, right? And he starts on this journey. And from hindsight perspective, we're like, yeah, everything worked out great for Abram. He had these kids, and they turned out to be really cool people, and they passed down this, their legacy to the next generation, Abraham, he didn't live a fair life. He didn't live like you and I with the confusion as to whether or not of, of discerning if God was 
you know, calling him specifically. It was cut clear and dry for Abraham. But I want to take a closer look at his story because I think if we take a more honest look, there's a lot that you and I can relate to in the story of Abraham. His story was far from cut clear and dry. He was a man with struggle just like you and I. When Abraham's about 75 years old, God tells him, I want you to leave the land that you've known for your entire life. He doesn't tell him where he's going to go, but he promises him something. He says, in the end, you are going, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have tremendous blessing in your life. So Abram, full of excitement, I would guess, leaves his home country for this new adventure, this new territory, this new horizons that God has placed a promise attached to. So we see this man, he takes his family, and they start on this journey. And then what's the very first thing that happens in his life that we see documented? He gets to the new place, and there's famine in the land. So what does he have to do? Abram goes, oh my gosh, there's nothing to eat. This isn't exactly how I imagined it would be. Come on, Sarai, come on, Lot. Let's bring our people, let's go down to Egypt, because Egypt has food. So they're refugees for the first chapter of this amazing journey with God. And they go in to Egypt, and they say, Abram turns to his wife right before they get into Egypt, and he says, honey, you know how I tell you all the time that you're really good looking? (laughs) Well, you're really good looking. And if we go in there, and he knows that I'm your husband, guess what's going to happen to me? God is not going to be able to fulfill the promise that he gave to me because I am going to be dead. Pharaoh is going to kill me, so I have an idea. Let's lie or let's tell a half-truth to Pharaoh. Let's tell him that you're my sister, not my wife. And so they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's take matters into our own hands. Let's help God out in this process so that God has the opportunity to fulfill the promise that he has given to me. So we go into Egypt, they go into to Egypt together, and they say, this is my sister. And Pharaoh says, your sister is really good looking. I would like your sister to be my, one of my wives. So he takes her. And then in his dream, God wakes up Pharaoh and says, hey, listen, that lady, that's actually his husband. So Pharaoh wakes up and goes, oh my gosh, why did you do this to me? Why are you going to bring God's curses on my house and on my family by you lying to me? So he takes all of this stuff and he gives it to Abram and to his family. And he says, I want you to leave. Get out of here. I'm going to bless you so that the curses on my household are going to be left. So Abram, his family, they get kicked out of Egypt but at least they're rich. It's this really weird interchange, isn't it? It's they, out of their disobedience to God, tell a lie, and yet there's this weird, like, blessing, like this financial blessing, or at least it seems in the future, where God says, like, 
all right, that's not what I had in mind here, but I'm going to work through it. And they get sent back into this territory, and then the next event that happens is all of these possessions and all of Abram's and Lot's people, they start to quarrel. They start to butt heads. They got too much stuff. Things are getting in the way. This so-called blessing from Egypt all of a sudden comes at the expense of relationship. I don't know what Abram's idea was, but I guess I'm guessing that his romanticized vision of what this promised land, this expectation set before him probably didn't have familial split, a division between him and his lot and his nephew Lot in mind. But sure enough, that's how the story unfolds. They have to go their separate ways. So Abram tells Lot, hey, listen, you look out of the territory, you pick one way and I'll go the other. So Lot looks right and he sees a land full of greenery, lushness. It's full of life. Looks to the left and he sees desert. And Lot says, I'll go that way. I'll go to the greenery. So Abram releases Lot with his family. They go to the greenery and Lot goes the other way. The next event that happens is Lot, his family that went toward the greenery, they find themselves in living, inhabiting in this space notorious for their inhospitability, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot finds himself in the middle of a war, and Abram has to go and rescue his nephew Lot. I'm certain he didn't have famine in, the, in his plan. I'm certain that he did not have familial division in his plan. And I bet you he didn't think he was going to go have to enter into a war to rescue his nephew. He gets in. He rescues his nephew. The, the king of Sodom says, let me throw blessings on you, Abram. Let me give you blessings because you have rescued us from this war. And he said, I made a promise with God that I would not receive anything from you so that you would have anything to boast with. I'm not going to take a thing. Then in chapter 15, there's this exchange. It's a really fascinating exchange where God interrupts Abram and he says, Abram, I am your shield. I am your great provider. Remember that. And Abram begins to wrestle with God. And he says, oh yeah, God, about that promise that you gave me, how exactly do you plan on rolling this out? How do you plan to use me as a blessing when I have no children? My wife cannot bear a child. We've been at this for quite some time already, and you haven't been showing up. How exactly do you plan on blessing me? And God takes Abram outside and he tells them to look up at the stars and he says, I want you to count the stars because that is how your descendants are going to be. And then it says, Abram believed God and God counted it, it to him as righteousness. And then God said, I'm still going to give you a land. And Abram says, when is this going to happen? How can I be certain? And he says, for 400 years, your people are going to be enslaved and mistreated. But after that, they're going to be released for 400 years. Is that what Abram had in mind? 
Is that what he left Ur of the Chaldeans for so his family could be enslaved for 400 years? But we don't see this wrestling at this point with Abram. Somehow that promise was still good enough for him. And he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The very next scene is Abram once again in dialogue with his wife. God showed me the stars. He showed me how our descendants are going to be as plentiful as the scars. How is this going to happen? You can't have children. So they come up with an idea. Let's take Hagar, the maidservant. She can have kids. Why don't you sleep with her and get her pregnant? Then God will use that. That sounds like a good idea. Let's take matters into our own hands once again. So Abram sleeps with Hagar, and they have a child, Ishmael. And immediately, division enters the household. Sarah, or Sarah at this point, is jealous of her maidservant. She wants to treat them with contempt because she can't have a child, and he can God has this, or Abram has this child, and he offers it to God saying, here it is, here's your blessing. And God says, that's not exactly the idea that I had in plan. But I'm going to bless it anyway. I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'll make him the father of many nations. I'm going to make a covenant to you. But that's not the plan that I had for you. And Abram and God journey along together again. God is going to destroy Sodom, and Lot lives there. So Abram pleads with God, please, please spare them. I don't want my nephew to die. And God creates an out for Lot, which he escapes. His wife ends up turning into a pillar of salt while him and his daughters go off into a cave and have babies together. Yes, this happens in the Bible. Finally, actually, there's one more step. Abram moves into a new state. He settles among a king named Abimelech. And as if they haven't learned from their life experiences of taking matters into their own hands over and over and over again, Abram and, Lot, Abram and Sarah sit at the table once again and say, we're going into a new territory. I know Sarah's pushing her 90s, but she's still really good looking. And so let's lie to Abimelech. Let's tell him, just like we told Pharaoh, that this is my sister, because if we don't, I will die, and God cannot fulfill his promise. So they tell Abimelech the same thing happens They get sent on their way. Then the great climax of the story of Abram is he finally gives him a son through Sarah. His name is Isaac. When God told him that his wife Sarah would give birth to this son in old age, both he and Sarah laughed uncontrollably. And God still did it anyways. They receive Isaac, 
It's this miracle child. And then God says to him, I want you to take that son, I want you to climb that mountain, and I want you to sacrifice this son to me. It's the great confusing moment of Abram's life. And we know the story in hindsight. He goes up and God provides a lamb, and that's the end of the story. My point in telling this story over the course of like 12 minutes with far too much detail, my apologies, is to show that this guy, Abram, in this journey of following Jesus or following God, his path was filled with the same sense of confusion, of doubt, of having to reconcile, okay, God has promised this thing on one hand, and yet my experiences and my real fears and struggles are not lining up with how I, what God has promised in this waffling back and forth and this struggle of I've stepped out in faith and yet I need to take control again, take matters back into my own hands. And then God asks for it back and I release it and I say, yes, I believe, I'm going there, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping out in faith again and then ah, I'm gonna take it back and under control. And the struggle of grasping control and releasing control and then grasping for control and releasing control, that's the story of Abram. And then finally, as he's the most confusing part of his life, the promised child, God says, here, here you go, now give it back to me. Now before we attach our modern sentiments of morality to this story, be reminded that it's not, out of, in the ancient world, it's not completely out of the realm of the unordinary for a god to ask a person to sacrifice a child. There's plenty of gods that would ask for the sacrifice of children. So it's not that it's this random, weird, like out of left field thing that God is asking. He asked Abram to do this. Abram has this, this consciousness or this idea that God could be asking him to follow through with this. And he goes up the mountain after a learned life of not surrendering over to the God of this universe. And he says, I'm done. I'm done trying to take matters into my own hands. And it's in this space of surrender, of him laying his child, it's grotesque. It's supposed to make the hair on your back turn up. It's supposed to make you just feel like, oh, how can you do that? He lays him on the altar. He's going to obedient, be obedient to God. And in that moment, God can communicate something about his character to Abram that he could never have communicated before. I am not the God who will ask you to sacrifice your, or who will have you sacrifice your son. I am the provisionary God. I have been the provisionary God from the beginning. I have been consistent throughout that whole story, and I'm going to be into the future. That is my character, Abram. But you have to embrace it in your fullness. You have to walk up that mountain 
You have to lay it down and embrace the fact that I am a provisionary God. The most like crazy thing about this whole story to me, if I insert myself into the seat of God, I am so annoyed by like chapter three. I'm like, dude, just get it together. I'm done with you. I'm going to go find somebody else. Why do you keep lying? Why do you keep doing all this crazy stuff? Just stop it. There is no, I'm like yelling. My wife is usually, she's home with like kids and like she usually is sitting in the back and she's like, dude, calm down. Like, but she's, she's not here. So I gotta yell. I was actually, side note, I was preaching at like an older church that my parents went to a long time ago and their sanctuary is super small and the kids ministries were outside. And one of the kids said to the children's worker like, why is that guy yelling so much? <laughs> Whoops, my bad. <clears throat> Get a little excited. Um, where was I? Okay. Um, I feel like, you know, the, the thing that is so dumbfounding to me about this story is that God, like, it's almost as if Abram, you know, is like his willingness to like put himself out there and then his failing, like God is just walking alongside him in the whole journey and just be like, okay, I'll take that. Okay, I'll, I'll work it out. Like I'll sow blessing back into it somehow. Come on, let's inch along. And it's through the sum total of this lived life of like putting himself out there and failing putting himself out there and like getting it wrong again, putting himself on there, that he's like learning along the way, making the same mistakes, learning along the way. And then the grand climax of his life is this space of saying like, I'm going to quit trying to do things on my own power. I'm going to quit trying to control God. And I'm just going to release myself and surrender and allow God to speak through that, allow God to work through that. I feel like sometimes, like, Andy talked about this last week when he was speaking about vocation, how sometimes we approach God as like this, what did you use the metaphor, like a, like a giant hide-and-go-seek, hide like, yeah, like a treasure map, like, God has this, like, really narrow hidden treasure for our lives, like the person we're going to marry, the job we're going to have, and our objective is to, like, walk this really eerie, weird, mysterious, it's like a, one of those escape rooms, right? We have to figure it out. And then, but if you go left or time runs out, like you're really screwed. And so live scared and, you know, <clears throat> um, but God doesn't work like that. God has said from the very beginning, why don't you step out? Why don't you risk something? Why don't you start on this journey? And then I make mistakes along the way. And he goes like, that was stupid. Like, but okay, come on, let me work through that. And I make another mistake. Okay, like, let's work through that. And we go through this journey. And this is the long-suffering, obnoxious patience of God that we see throughout all of Scripture. It doesn't end with Abram. It's passed on to his kids and his kids through Moses, through the whole story of Israel and down to us. 
And God continues this journey of long-suffering and patience and navigating along his ch- alongside his children that continue to make mistakes, and he continues to show his faithfulness to his promise in our lives. That is the character of the God we serve. And it is, it's a, it is annoying at times. It's like, why don't you just smite us already? <laughs> like, oh, but it's so good. And it gives me so much solace. In Romans, Paul uses the other, the other, one of the other passages that is read in the lectionary this week comes from Romans 4. And in the early church, there was a debate going on whether or not people like you and I, who were not Jewish, were allowed to be a part of this whole Jesus clan, Christians. And a part of the group is saying, like, no, like, you have to, you can't follow God, you can't follow Jesus unless you abide by the law. And Paul uses this story of Abraham. He asked the Jewish people, he said, was Abraham considered righteous because of his obedience to the law? He said, of course not. There wasn't even the law at that point. He was considered righteous because of his faith. Remember his faith? His faith comes right in between lying to Pharaoh and then impregnating Hagar. That's where his faith in chapter 15 comes into play. That's the passage that Paul is quoting. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith amidst all of the uncertainties, all of the doubts, all of the messiness of his life. It was his faith that set him free. So of course Gentiles and Jews, people who don't figure it out, have it figured out, are allowed into the body. Abram, he started this whole story, and that was true for him, and it's true for us. And that is, that is what Paul is making that argument so that you and I can be invited into the body of Christ. And yet, I, I kind of had, I came up, I don't know if I want to share this, but yeah, sure, why not? Um, I had in my image of us like, Paul coming to our defense, us poor Gentiles who want to be a part of this Christian family. And he's making this argument to the Jews who want to keep us out unless we abide by the law. And he's referencing back to Abram and he says, look it, this guy was credited righteous because of his faith. Who can have faith? Is it just those who abide by the law? No, it's everybody. Gentiles, Jews, everybody can have faith. And we are standing behind Paul because he's coming to our fence and we're like, yeah, yeah, eat that, right? And he goes on and then Paul leaves with us, having defended our right to be a part of the family of God. And we start walking away and then we have these little side conversations going on. You have the little legalistic group that starts going like, Can you believe those stuck-in-the-mud Gentiles or the Pharisees who want to keep us out of the family of God? Ugh, they're so primitive. Hey, where's Timmy and Samantha? Have you seen them lately? Oh, I heard last week that they went to a rated R movie and Timmy's dropping out of Bible college to get a secular job. And uh, I think that they've fallen away from the faith. 
oh, no way. I thought they got saved just three weeks ago. Yeah, I did too, but apparently they're living the secular life now, right? And we create these like internal, we have these weird internal subcultures where we like to grab on to the same legalistic tendencies that reaffirm whether we are in or we are out. And we create all of these weird expectations and parameters because it feels safer. Just like the Pharisees felt safer that if we could just all abide by the law to the letter of the law, that somehow we'll be in right standing with God. Then you have another group who is also excited that Paul came to our defense. And yet, they're the licentious group. They're the group that feels so happy that we don't have to be bound by the law again. So Tim says to, I don't know why Tim, but Tim says to Stephen, Hey Stephen, want to come and get drunk with me on the Sabbath? I have a little extra money now that I don't have to make those stupid tithes and offerings because I'm free from the law. These are really stupid examples, I know. But this is the logic that Paul is going back and forth with in Romans, where you have one group that's saying, everything needs to be according to the law. And Paul's saying, like, come on, guys. It's all about faith. And then the other people say, well, if it's all about faith, then I can just do whatever I want. And he's like, can we all just grow up for just a second? Can we all just grow up? We are following a God who gave himself as an ultimate sacrifice to us so that we could share in this provisionary character of God. We can live in that, we can relish in it, and we can share in it. Let's not abuse that, but let's run freely in pursuit of that God. Okay, let's land this thing. So what does this mean for us as a community? There's lots of practical applications that we can draw from this. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into a lot of those. I'm going to let you reflect on how you as an individual can surrender yourself over to a God who is not taking a tally mark of the sum total of your failures, but like Lahela reminded us two weeks ago, looks at a square in the eye and says, you are loved. Now watch for me journeying alongside with you. Journey with me. That's the character of the God that we serve. Another reason, though, why I think that this is so apt for us is just the stage of life that we are in as a community. We find ourselves, much like Abram, sitting out, looking over into these new horizons, these new lands, these new territories that it feels like we're going to step into a new space, a new season once again. I don't know if you were here, but the last time I preached on this passage was the Sunday that AJ and Quinn left the community. It was their send-off passage. And the point that I made was that despite all of the the uncertainty and the angst and just the, um, the sadness with how that story 
ended and they went on to the new chapter in their life. This community was started because two people had the courage and the faith. They heard a call to go to a distant land, to a land that God would show them, and that through that, through that obedience, that God was going to journey alongside, and God was going to sow blessing, and people were going to be blessed as a result. My life was blessed as a result. I think many of your lives have been blessed as a result. We have been drawn into relationship with one another. We have been able to serve one another and this community together. Because God takes obedience and he says, I'm just going to work with this. I'm going to mold it. And now God looks at a new community and says, hey, listen, there's a new chapter ahead. I'm going to take you to a new place. We're we're going to a new place regardless. And we can look at that and we can kind of do the lot thing and say, okay, we're going to go there because it looks green and that looks nice. And we're just going to go there and we're going to settle down in the land of inhospitability and we're going to keep to ourselves and we'll find ourselves in the middle of a war where we're just going to need to come and get rescue and demise will be our, our story. Or we can look at this opportunity as saying like, God, we, have, we cannot accomplish anything at, at our, on our own. Together, we are seeing that you are up to something here. And so we open-handedly are saying we are going to journey along in that journey. We're going to step out. We're going to go to that land. And guess what? The results of that process are up to you. (laughs) We're not going to try to control it, manipulate it, but we are going to be responsible with it. Abram had to take ownership of his life. He had to take ownership of his decisions. He had to take ownership of the journey that he was setting out on. We as a community in this this new chapter, we have to be prepared to take ownership of our story. One of the biggest feedbacks or one of the biggest like points of concern that I received in this process of... of, um, collecting perspectives on the poll was, do we as a community have, have we really thought through all that this move is going to require of us? Have we thought through with clarity the financial responsibility of owning a property, of being tenants that are, handle that stewardship well and with faithfulness, of maintaining a building that is going to be up to us to to maintain? Have we thought through all of the variables involved with that? Most certainly we have not thought through all of them. And most certainly that has not been a part of our story up to this point. Should that then deter us from stepping out in obedience and following through with it? I sure hope not. We see that God is up to something and we are to step out, but we are also not to be naive with the responsibility, what the call to responsibility that that is attached with that. 
Something that this is bringing out in the life of our community is this really profound reality. Andy has brought this up on multiple occasions, and I'm so grateful that he has, is guess what, guys? We are not our parents' church anymore. For our whole life, we've been able to go to church and let somebody else pay the bills, let somebody else develop the ministries, let somebody else take care of the facility, let somebody else do all the work, and we could just pass, passively come and consume and participate, and that's just how it's been. And God says, no, like Abram, I'm calling you to new horizons. I'm calling you to take ownership and responsibility. You're going to make mistakes in the process, and you have to take ownership and responsibility of that. But guys, collectively, now, this time, this moment, this is for us to embrace the responsibility. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is in it. And in the process, the opportunity for blessing of other people and community is deeply, deeply profound. But it is going to require something of us as a community. We're going to have to be generous with our money. We are. We're going to have to give. On the 17th, I'm meeting with the district supervisor and our elders in our council, and they're going to go through our finances top to low, and they're going to see that we operate at $13,000 a month, which is $4,000 short of our monthly operating expenses. And they're going to look at me and say, how do you plan on reconciling this? And I'm going to say, I'm going to ask our community to give and take ownership and responsibility for this new chapter and this new stage that God has bring us into. We're all about it. We see that God is there. And I believe we're going to do it. I believe we're going to step up and to participate because God is in this. We also have to take ownership of lots of other things, of raising our children, of praying for our children, and, and, and pouring into each other's lives in that way. This is our moment, I believe. God is doing something, and it's really, really good. It's really, really good. We're going to make mistakes. He's going to journey alongside us. And I think that we're going to be able to see a tremendous amount of blessing in our community and in our lives uh, together as we go on that journey with God. Amen? Okay. Awesome. We're going to come to the table now. Uh, Megan, if you want to come back up for worship. In the spirit of making sure that our little ones especially uh, and the ones with poor immune systems are protected, um, in communion tonight, the servers have washed their hands. If you haven't, go wash your hands really quick. Um, and they're going to actually be tearing off the bread and the juice and dipping it and handing it to us so we don't get all this crazy cross-contamination. So that's how uh, the communion is going. There's just going to be a station up here in the front. All are welcome to the table. Um, come, reflect, meditate at the altar. Um, yeah, come to the table. You've been listening to the podcast of Theophilus Church. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by what you've heard. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com.